Combo Nation. What is up? And welcome to episode 409 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune in to Combo's Court. If you would like to receive bonus Combo's Court content, check out the Combo's Court Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. Today's show, Joe Mullinax of the Locked On Grizz podcast joins in to talk John Morant, the GM polls, Grizz culture, and more. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. podcast welcome to combos court how are things things are good you know it's a busy time of year as i know you know everything's uh ramping back up the off season's over we have actual basketball to discuss now and can stop talking about 2k rankings and all <laughs> these other uh things that don't matter as much as the actual game being played on the court which is a positive we all definitely been through that phase where we start talking about rankings uh, of 2K and all kinds of interesting topics. I could tell you're truly passionate about your team. Watching Wemby and Scoop play, are you uh, like a little upset that the Grizz are not in the mix? No, I don't care about that, if I'm being honest. Uh, <laughs> I, I know that a lot of people are into that. I do think that game being as big of a deal as it was, because it really was a meaningless game, right? Like there weren't no. any really things that they were playing for um but it it is a victory for the g league ignite which i have not really been very impressed with i personally i'm I'm old school in this way i would think it'd be cooler for them to go play college ball and actually compete in games that matter um because again they essentially play an exhibition schedule at least they have to this point um, they aren't in the G League play law, playoffs. They didn't play everybody. I know that's changing as as the program develops. Um, but that was the first game, at least in my eye, and again, it's just one man's opinion, that was meaningful, or at least it felt like it meant something. And that's a testament to what they're trying to build. Because again, I, I would rather see Scoot playing at Duke. Mm-hmm. That's just me. I'd rather see him playing at Memphis. I'd rather see him playing at a place in the NCAA, especially now that, you know, name, image, and likeness, the NIL stuff is there. He can get paid and do all those things, and he's playing in the NCAA tournament, which to me, again, old school thinker, means something, whereas a random game that has no championship bearing, they're they're just playing basketball to essentially play. It's a glorified pickup game, in my opinion. So that was the first one that actually felt like something. Yeah, I don't think that you're wrong, but I like to look at it from both sides because I always thought that, school and basketball in this country were always connected and I didn't think they had to be. I do like the fact that they have multiple options. They have alternative routes. There's a lot of different things they could do, but I would say the proof is in the pudding. Like we look at Jaden Hardy, a guy that shouldn't have dropped to the second round and he did. It obviously wasn't great for his stock when he was playing pretty well with the G league ignite. And it's in my opinion, talent wise, he was a first round player. And then we see Paulo who goes to Duke and he gets a sneaker contract with Jordan. So I think the proof is in the pudding in that sense, but I do like that 
players have different options to go sure, with. Sure, they should have options. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm just saying yeah. me personally, I would rather see them playing for something as opposed to saying, oh, this guy wants to be a pro. He's just going to go focus on being a pro. Okay, make that mean something. You know, yeah. it's, it's just like he's hanging out playing a glorified grown up AAU basketball, um, which I'm not a big fan of either. But that, that's neither here nor there. Yes. The GM polls came out. The top players for each position came out according to the GMs. My whole thing is, is like Ja didn't end up with the PGs. And I think it's a flawed system anyway, because we're now playing positionless basketball. I think it's more about meshing skill sets, personalities um tendencies more than like filling in slots but just positionally but i would say like john morant might i mean he's not in my opinion better than steph or luca i'm sure you could you could definitely argue he's better than chris paul now and trey but that would be my argument but he's more of a point guard than steph and luca even though he's not better than them and chris paul is definitely a point guard but like Positionally, Ja really plays like a point guard. To not have him on that list, I think, is a little bit ridiculous. Well, we talked about this on one of our recent episodes of Locked On Grizzlies. I am frustrated because I agree with you completely. Like, my vote, and I said this on the show, my vote would have been Steph Curry. To me, to me it's Steph Curry. He just won a championship. Main reason they won that championship. But, but actually, but like, what I'm trying to say is like, Ja is more of a pure point sure. guard than Steph. I understand. Like, Steph. Steph he, a lot of his stuff comes moving off the ball. Draymond but even takes- if you say, even if you say Steph Curry is a point guard, I'm fine with that. Right. Okay. The, the point I'm trying to make is if you're going to be wrong, don't be wrong saying Chris Paul. Don't be wrong saying Trey Young. John Morant is the third best point guard in the National Basketball Association. And in terms of true point guards, I agree with you. He's the best. But if you're saying Steph Curry is a point guard, then Steph Curry is better than John Morant at this stage. If you're saying Luka Doncic, the 6'8", however tall he is, right. you know, position, you talk about positionless basketball, that guy literally, he's, he's this generation's Magic Johnson in that way. Or maybe he's this generation's LeBron James. Um, or Larry Bird. He can all, play one through five. Yeah. He can do all of those things. So if you want to call him a point guard, cool. Uh, but, you know, John Morant is third on that list. And like I said, I understand how surveys work. You, you're saying one name. To me, the one name that the guys that said Chris Paul should have said it should have been John Morant in third on that list. And, and, you know, he was voted most athletic. He was voted, you know, fastest with the ball in his hands. I took that after looking at all of the rankings as they don't respect the actual basketball skill of John Morant. He has an extremely underrated handle watching him as much as I have. You know, he's not Kyrie Irving, but I'd say he's a tier below that. He is developing a mid-range game. He really understands how to create space and then close it when finishing at the rim. There are aspects of his game that aren't just athleticism driven. I 100%. think he kind of gets a rep that, oh, watch me run fast and dunk it. And I don't think that's fair. And that's probably something that he's going to prove a lot of a lot of these GMs, at least, uh, wrong on this coming season. Yeah, even pre-draft, I used to talk about him. And it wasn't the athleticism I was talking about, even though obviously that was apparent and he's elite at that. But he's also elite when it comes to IQ and feel for the game and passing mm-hmm. ability. Very and I think you're And I think – that part of his game gets underrated at points because of how special his athleticism is. Absolutely. And I I do believe that he, again, when I'm watching him play, when I watch anybody play, how do you create enclosed space? You know, you can say that about a lot of different sports, but in basketball, you want room to operate, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever move you're executing, whatever dribble, 
whatever, you know, follow through on your shot, however you're ripping through to get to the basket. There's lots of different things you can do. How you create that space and then how you close it to get your shot. John Morant is just as good at that as anybody in the NBA. Steph Curry's just count for more points more often than not because he makes threes. But John Morant is the Steph Curry of doing that at the basket. You don't lead the league in points in the paint per game as a 6'3 guard and not be able to be elite at that. And you don't just do it by running and jumping. You have to have a handle. You have to have an understanding of scheme, of angles, of all the different ways that you need to get a shot off. You know, Morant is an underrated basketball player. I don't think he's underrated as an athlete. I think he's appreciated in that way. I don't know that the national media and clearly the GMs appreciate the skills that Morant brings to the table as a basketball player. Yeah, let's shift to the Grizzlies as a team. Uh, when I th- think of the Grizzlies, especially lately, I think of culture. They've built great culture lately. And the teams I think most about when I think of culture are the Miami Heat, the Spurs, the Warriors. And I think Toronto and Memphis are now in the mix for that, even though they're a little bit younger. But how has the Memphis Grizzlies been able to curate such great basketball culture? They've done it through the draft. You know, the only real main free agent they've signed is Tyus Jones, and that was back in 2019. Uh, They traded for Steven Adams, obviously. There's a couple of Danny Green, new to the team. Uh, But, you know, a lot of it's been trades, and mostly it's been through the draft. John Morant, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, uh, you know, on and on you can go of guys that were drafted by the Grizzlies, developed by the Grizzlies, you know, even from previous regimes with Jaron and Dylan. You know, they are Grizzlies through and through. And I think that that holds value. And that's not always going to be the case. You know, Dylan Brooks may not be long for this Grizzlies life for a variety of reasons, financial, playing wise, uh, being a free agent, whatever the case might be. But, you know, they have done a really good job of bringing in young guys that have a certain chip on their shoulder. You know, even John Morant, it's hard to say someone that was drafted second overall in the 2019 NBA draft has a chip on his shoulder. But he played at, you know, a small mid-major college. He was in a side gym at an AAU tournament. He wasn't even on the main floor when he was discovered. He had to earn everything he got. And you go up and down the roster. Desmond Bain had one scholarship offer to TCU. Dylan Brooks was a second-round pick. Brandon Clark was overlooked in that Zion draft. The second most efficient player in the country was Brandon Clark you know, up and down, left and right and through. And then even when they bring in Steven Adams, he was washed. Everybody said that Steven Adams was done in New Orleans. He looked terrible. And all he did was turn around in Memphis and fit into that culture remarkably well and have a career year in a lot of ways, especially as a passer, a facilitator of offense. You wouldn't have thought that in a million years with Steven Adams, the way he looked in New Orleans. So I think that it starts with Taylor Jenkins. It starts with Zach Kleiman, the kind of player they're looking for. And I think that it permeates through the guys like John Morant, like Brandon Clark. You know, like I said, they have a chip on their shoulder and they have a mentality that they have been overlooked. You know, Jaron maybe is the only one that doesn't really fit this, but all of them in some way, shape or form have been told at some point, you're not good enough. There are no, you know, dookies on the roster, at least not as many, you know, Tyus Jones kind of is, but there's no first overall pick blue blood, you're going to be the man, you know, that that's not these guys. They all are very aware of everyone that has doubted them in the past. And even as people like John Morant get max extensions, 
you don't have to worry about their mentality shifting because of how they were brought up in basketball. All those players definitely do have a chip on their shoulder. I would say a great thing that Memphis does when it comes to the draft is they just draft good basketball players and they don't worry about potential. They don't overthink it. And they even do that in undrafted, you know, free agency, right? John Conchar, who no one drafted, is now an NBA rotation player, one of the most elite wing rebounders in the NBA. Great three-point shooter. We'll see what he does in greater usage this year. But Conchar being an NBA player. Uh, Kenneth Lofton Jr. is the latest example of that. It's early, but he looks fantastic. And again, you look at these guys and why don't they get drafted higher? Well, Desmond Bain's too old. His arms are too short. Brandon Clark is too old. Kenneth Lofton Jr. looks more like a guard in football than a guard in basketball. <laughs> um, right. you know, they, they all are kind of island of misfit toys in a variety of ways. But to your point, if you look at the numbers and you watch the tape, Memphis doesn't overthink it. They don't look to say, hopefully this guy is really good. They see a guy who's really good, who they think will fit their culture, and they bring him in, and they give them opportunity, and they develop them young. I think that's an important part of it. Memphis is an amazing community. They're extremely high IQ when it comes to basketball. They love the Grizzlies. They love the Memphis Tiger basketball team as well. They are a basketball town. If you all you know is Memphis, and you come in, and that is a place that you can embrace You'll love it there. I lived there for three years. It's one of my favorite times in my life is the time I spent in Memphis. But you got to get there first. And when you're a free agent and you can choose between Miami and Los Angeles and Memphis, you're probably not picking Memphis, Tennessee more often than not. So you draft these guys. You prioritize developing them there. They set down roots. They become men. They get married. They have families. It's a heck of a lot harder to leave, especially if you're having success. And I think that they're betting on themselves through that process. You met, you mentioned Kenneth Lofton Jr., and I think he's such a fun basketball player. Everybody was very excited about him in summer league. I was actually in Vegas, as usual, nice. to watch all of those teams play. And uh, he was one of the guys that had everybody buzzing because he sure is a lot of fun. But what do you feel like his ideal NBA role is with this Memphis Grizzlies team? I have absolutely no idea. Right now, his ideal NBA role is being a great player in the G League. I think that Grizzlies fans get a little bit excited about guys like him because, again, we've come to embrace those players, right? Tony Allen was an extremely flawed basketball player, and he's a legend in Memphis. Zach Randolph, flawed basketball player. Uh, He's very good at basketball, but there were things that he just wasn't. He couldn't jump over a phone book. You know, people don't even know what a phone book is anymore. But that was the line. (laughs) You can't jump over a phone book. He's so unathletic, but he was extremely good at scoring the ball on the block. He was a very good rebounder and he had better defense than he was given credit for. He wasn't great on that end, but he also wasn't the the, the terrible liability. Uh, So he was better than he probably should have been. And Kenneth Lofton Jr. just seems like the next example of that. Right. And, and again, played on the 18 under USA team, was a great player there for whatever reason, didn't get recruited. It's the same song and dance and he doesn't get drafted and he falls into the lap of the Grizzlies as an undrafted free agent. I think he's on a two way contract currently with the Grizzlies and that can be converted to a full roster spot. Maybe he earns that in the next year, but I want to see him have success at the G League level and understand that they don't need him. You know, Santi Aldama is someone who they're depending on to fill in for Jaron Jackson Jr. While he's out, he's looked good early on. I I think he's the front runner. They've got Brandon Clark, like we mentioned. Uh, They drafted David Roddy and Jake LaRavia in the first round, two guys that should fit that role. You know, that versatile, positionless, Kyle Anderson-esque, since they lost him in free agency. You know, they don't need Kenneth Lofton Jr. 
at least in theory, unless he's legitimately better than the two first round guys they picked, which I have serious questions about. So I just want to see him have success at the G League level and prove that he can be that level of player consistently. Because if you can dominate the G League, you can probably be a rotation player in the NBA. I have enough questions about Lofton can do what he can do defensively, uh, what he can do on the boards. I want to see him do those things at a professional level, and then we can worry about how he fits into an NBA rotation later. I don't want to rush that. I don't think they need to. Last season, the Memphis Grizzlies were great in transition. They were a great defensive team. But what do they have to do better this season to become a better team in the half court when it comes to offense? I think that they need to let John Morant play off the ball more. You mentioned earlier how Steph Curry was, you know, off of screens and off ball screens and doing all the things to get him open shots. I think you do the same thing with John Morant in terms of cuts, backdoor cuts, getting him up and down the baseline. I think that you find ways to get Desmond Bain facilitating. Zaire Williams is a name that we haven't talked about yet. That's yes. going to get a lot of opportunity, you know, six foot nine and people hear six foot nine and they think he's a combo forward. No, like he's a legitimate perimeter player. He can play the yeah. two as a six foot nine guy, but they've given him the opportunity to facilitate offense more lead, be that lead facilitator, getting John spots where he can prior, prioritize scoring. Cause John is always going to look for the pass first. That's just how he is. And he, again, underrated passer, in my opinion, we know he can score. And this Grizzlies team is going to need him to score, getting him different ways to score, making the offense more versatile in the half court is something that should be a priority. And I think that they have shown that they want to do that because DeAnthony Melton, Kyle Anderson, they were flawed in terms of postseason play. They certainly aren't going to make the Grizzlies fall into the play in losing those guys. Right. But at the same time, you mentioned being great in transition. That was the strength of Melton and Anderson. It looks like Roddy and LaRavia and those guys can maybe replicate some of that, which would be another, you know, all hail King climate, as folks like to say, the GM of the Grizzlies, another great draft, if that is the case. But we need to see it, right, in actual game action. And once you get to the playoffs, the game doesn't slow down as much as people think it does. But you do need to be more efficient in your half-court offense. And Memphis has struggled with that. So I think that the key is getting Morant, your best weapon, and Bain to a lesser extent, more versatile opportunities, getting them the looks and getting them to their spots outside of the traditional offense and putting them in positions to – throw defenses off, disrupt their rhythm, especially in terms, like I said, I think they could do more uh, off-ball screening for players like Moran. The Memphis Grizzlies have shown it doesn't matter who's out the lineup. They could always produce. They could always win games. We've seen it with John Moran. They're going to have to do it a little bit with Jaron Jackson Jr. out. How long do you expect them to be out for, and what's the latest on him? That's the million-dollar question, right? Uh, some national outlets expect to see him back in January, and that is not what the team makes it sound like at all. I think the first 20 games are probably what he misses. That probably puts him, you know, maybe early December in terms of coming back. And the Grizzlies have a pretty early, you know, it's always, it's tough to rank schedules based off of last year after an offseason, especially this past offseason with all the movement that happened. Um, but according to early strength of schedule numbers, the first 20 games aren't really that tough for Memphis. So if they get him back by early December, and they're able to integrate him in and find ways to make him work because he is a player who his numbers I wrote for fan sided recently. Uh, they're doing their 25 play top top 25 under 25. 
and Jaron was ranked, of course, because he should be. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you do research into the numbers, and he was essentially Julius Randle last year. And people like to rip apart Julius Randle offensively for what he did for the Knicks this past season. Uh, Jaron was not efficient either. And he obviously was very good defensively. He was a first-team all-defensive yes. player. But Jaron is paid, at least at the moment, Bain might have him beat here soon, but Jaron is paid to be the second best player on this team. And he offensively was not that last season. He needs to pick it up there and finding ways for him to fit better next to jaw, getting him more effective and efficient looks. That's one of the places where that injury hurts the most. He had to prioritize rehabilitation more than getting comfortable around John Moran. Yeah. I mean, even if Jared Jackson Jr. isn't efficient, it's hard to compare it to Julius Randle when it comes to their struggles because uh, you said, one, the defense, obviously, and two, he's not going to hold the ball and mess up the flow of the offense. Yeah, but again, in terms of points scored, you know, per attempt and all that stuff, he he and Randle were the two, in terms of playing time, they were the two least efficient bigs in the NBA last year. Mm. So obviously, Jaron brought more to the table on the defensive end. But I'm primarily saying you want to talk about half court offense being better. Here's a six foot 11 big who can play like a wing, who has a decent handle for his size, who has the capacity to shoot the three, yes. who can play the five and definitely can take other fives off the dribble, even some fours off the dribble. He needs to do that more consistently. He really struggled at the rim last year. His offense just was not as good as it needs to be for Memphis to be a competent playoff half court in particular offensive squad yes I mean I think he has to be eventually the second best player on this team for the team to become legit title contender. yes yes to become a legit title uh, contender I think around the league and I don't know if you agree with this the Grizzlies have a puncher's chance to win a championship maybe they're on outside of that bubble when it comes to legit title contenders not quite there yet but knocking on its door what do you feel like the Grizzlies have to do to become totally legit title contenders. I think that the league is struggling with what Memphis is doing because they were the second best team in the NBA last year in terms of regular season. They tied the franchise record for most wins at 56. They won their first division championship in the history of the franchise. And I know not many people think that matters, but in Memphis it matters because it was the first time they ever won one. So Mm -hmm. usually when you're in that spot, you go and do what Minnesota did and get Rudy Gobert, or you do what Cleveland did and you get Donovan Mitchell, you go all in. The Grizzlies did the opposite. They let Kyle Anderson walk. They traded DeAnthony Melton for a dude who's not going to be able to play until April or May and to get a first-round pick to select a rookie. Memphis got younger. I mean, that's the truth of it. They they are a younger team, aside from Danny Green. They, They are younger in terms of the contributing players to start this season. So how do you rationalize that i think that's one of the reasons that the grizzlies aside from the lakers and the nets because they're complete messes you know non-crazy division the grizzlies are the team that are the toughest to predict according to nba gms because technically they are an nba title contender they're one of the top eight to ten teams in the nba and if you're in that mix you're a championship contender they have yet to make a move to act like that the main thing they've done is re-sign stephen adams who's a veteran big Again, we talked about how he was deemed washed going into last season because of how much he struggled with the Pelicans. So that's not a contending move. You don't trade up into the lottery to take Zaire Williams, who coming out of Stanford, lots of folks saw as a project. He is doing better than people anticipated. But 
they do not operate like a contending team in the front office. The coaching staff does. The players sure as hell do. But the front office doesn't. They just don't. They, they would have been more involved in a Rudy Gobert conversation. Can you imagine Jaron Jackson Jr. and Rudy Gobert on the floor together? Good luck yeah. scoring on that front court. They would have been involved in trades and rumors about some of these guys. And they were yeah. Kevin Durant for a brief moment, literally a day. Uh, but, you know, how much of that was just positioning and all that stuff? Who leaks the information? You know, that context matters, too. I think they're perfectly content with letting this thing grow naturally. Their, their front office has put themselves in a position with their cap sheet that they can keep John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain. They can pay these dudes. Wow. And they can treat this core like the Golden State Warriors have treated Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. I'm not comparing skill sets. I'm comparing structure. Yes. The Grizzlies are in a spot where they can keep all those dudes. They don't have to worry about trading anyone because of cash. The supporting pieces might change, but their core is in place. And I think they are totally fine with letting them kind of find their footing on their own and grow into this contenders, contending them contendership, whatever you want to call it, uh, and not force it. They're not, they're willing to let LeBron James age out and Kawhi Leonard and mm -hmm. Steph Curry. Cause when John Morant's 27 years old, he's 23 now, I think, or 22, Steph Curry's yeah. probably gone. Yes. LeBron James definitely gone. Kawhi Leonard is almost certainly gone. So when yeah. you hit the middle of this decade, when Jaron, John Bain are in their primes, who has a better core than that? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe New Orleans, maybe the Hawks, maybe Cleveland now. But again, that puts Memphis in the top three and four in the entire NBA. And now you're talking about championship contenders on the highest level, right? You're not a dark horse contender. You're, you're fully in the mix. I think they're doing the thing you're not supposed to do, and they're willing to be patient. Joe, great insights. Thank you so much for taking the time. Where can we find your work? Where can we find you on social media? Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. Uh, I am a co-host of the Lockdown Grizzlies podcast with Michael Cole uh, of the Memphis Commercial Appeal. He does a great job. Love to Michael. Uh, so we do podcasts every day. Follow us there at Lockdown Grizzlies. I'm a freelance NBA writer right now. So I'm writing for Fanside in the step back at the moment. But if anybody wants me to write for them, you, know, <laughs> you can just check out my stuff and, and give me an email. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm excited. I used to run SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues. Okay. Uh, the fan blog for the Memphis Grizzlies. I did that for five years and it was just time to allow someone that's actually in the city uh, the chance to take it to the next level. I'm no longer in Memphis and Grizzly Bear Blues. We built it up or we built it up to the point where it was one of the leading media things in the in the market. So it was time for them to have someone that was actually like a beat writer, essentially running the show. Right. And I still am passionate about the Grizzlies, passionate about the NBA. And, and I'm really, you know, excited for this coming season because it's a it's a welcome, a welcome, fresh look at yeah. how to cover this franchise. So and, yeah. you know, they're still pretty fun to watch. So They definitely are. They definitely are. Joe, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show later in the season, maybe when uh, Memphis is on their way to a title, hopefully for you. Sure. We can Fingers talk crossed. Wrong. We'll fly in for that parade. I'll be on Beale Street with bells on. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Talk soon. Thanks so much, Joe. Really appreciate right. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Have a good one. There it is. Another episode of Combo's Court. Thank you to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. And big shouts to Joe for joining in. We appreciate you. If you would like to receive bonus Combo's Court content, check out the Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. 
Be on the lookout for episode 410 combo out.